Hi. Hi. Merry Christmas. I'm Pastor Larry, I'm so happy that you're here. For joining us online, we're thrilled that you're with us. If you're in this room with us, we're so happy that you've come, actually with skin on, to worship Jesus with us. And it's a fun time, man, it's Christmas season. And um, you can tell uh, because it's a little cooler, I guess. Even if it's not that cool, we're wearing lots of clothes because it's just not right to buy Christmas presents in shorts and t-shirts. And so. We're wearing lots of clothes and that works out great because we're also eating lots of cookies and those white tents are popping up where they're selling the trees and we're all busy planning and partying and decorating and shopping and the Christmas songs are on the radio and the Christmas movies are on TV and I gotta tell you, man, I love the Christmas movies. Um, real quick, just by popular vote, shout out, what is the best Christmas movie? Good, so we're all in agreement on that. I mean, they're all good, right? Uh, except Polar Express, that's of the devil. Um, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just, it's fine, it's fine, it's, it's fine. Um, we love them all, right? We love A Christmas Story, and we love Elf, and we love It's a Wonderful Life, and they're, you know, they're funny and they're sweet and they're, they're like part of the fabric of the season, right? I mean, it just, these movies just feel like, like Christmas and, and they celebrate a Christian holiday, uh, although I have to tell you that sometimes they don't have perfect Christian theology. Like, take a look at this clip. This is from It's a Wonderful Life. That's right. That's right. Is it right? George Bailey, I'm gonna tell you, I can make a pretty strong biblical case that angels don't have wings, and that if they do have wings, I don't think they earn them. And if they are earned, it's not like we die and we earn our wings and we become, angels are not people that used to be people. So the theology in these movies isn't always 100% 100% perfect. Um, there's also another downside, and that is I think sometimes if we're not careful, these movies can like distract us. They can take our eyes and our excitement off the real story and the real characters of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and get us looking too much at other stories and other characters. Like, it would be really cool if all Christians were as excited about Jesus coming as Buddy is when he finds out that Santa's coming. Take a look at this. Time for the announcement. Okay, Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. So that's, I guess, how excited we should be uh, when we're coming to worship Jesus every week. So, yeah. The Christmas movie theology might not be perfect and they might be a little distracting from the real Christmas story, but they really are sweet and they really are funny and they really do feel like Christmas. Um, the question that's been bothering me is, um, do they have any real biblical value for Christians? I mean, can we find a single shred of Christian biblical truth in them. And so for the next couple of weeks, um, 
we're gonna try. For the next three weeks, we're gonna take a look at three of my favorite Christmas movies, and you know what? We're going to unashamedly enjoy the silliness and the fluff and the fun of each one because, let's face it, we're CBCB, <laughs> right? And we like silliness and we like fluff and we like fun, but we're also a church that seeks truth. And we're also a church that loves Jesus. So we're gonna dig through some of the silly stuff and see if we can dig out some real biblical Christmas truth in these movies. So um, let's get started. Jesus, uh, thank you for this season. Thank you not just for the things that we do and the ways that we celebrate. For, thank you, Jesus, for what it is that we celebrate. It's you. It's you coming for us. Lord, just thank you so much for what that means to us as believers, that our eternity was shaped and changed because you chose to come. And so, Lord, as we're looking at these movies, yeah, we're going to have fun and we're going to laugh and we're going to remember and it's going to feel Christmassy and all that stuff. But, Jesus, will you please just show us you? Show us who you are and show us what you love and how you feel. And Jesus, will you please just show us some truth about you in these Christmas stories. In Jesus' name, amen. In this modern age, Perfect. too many people have lost sight of the true meaning of Christmas. Mom! Hush! Shut up, Ralphie! So now, in the spirit of the original. I made it, you. Stop. Tradition. American Christmas. Thanks a lot. MGM presents a Christmas story. Passing ah! through the snow. Santa's beard. And unwraps the secrets. Did I get a tie this year? Of the original, traditional. He looks like a deranged Easter bunny. 100% two-fisted, red-blooded. It's smiling at me. All-American Christmas. A Christmas story. So, I love this movie. Um, it's so real, right? It's so like innocent and it's so funny and I love the dad and his major award and I love Ralphie's little brother Randy when he can't put his arms down because he's too bundled up. I love it when he hides under the sink because he thinks dad's gonna kill Ralphie. I, I mean, I love it all. I love when that kid gets his tongue frozen to the pole. <laughs> Um, and I love it when Ralphie goes blind from soap poisoning. I mean, that's just, 
There's a lot to love, right? But again, the question is, is there any biblical Christmas truth to dig out of it? That's, that's the question. What, what biblical truth could we possibly find in this silly movie? Is there one single scripture that this movie really illustrates? And actually, you might be surprised. There's actually quite a few. In fact, I had several preaching options this week. Um, I thought about Matthew 15, 11. We could have preached that. Uh, it says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And that is illustrated pretty well eh, by Ralphie there. I thought about that one. I thought about preaching Psalm 37, 8, which says, refrain from anger and turn from your wrath. And that's, you know, pretty well illustrated. See, there's a lot of choices, man. There's a lot more in there than you think there is. I thought about preaching uh, Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. (laughs) You guys didn't even know it was a Bible movie, huh? I even thought about preaching Acts 2-4, which is, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them. Fragile. It must be Italian. It must be Italian. <laughs> there are so many choices. Uh, the movie is just chock full of biblical truth. Um, but I think that the best biblical message in this movie is not really in one scene, and I don't think it's in one line. I think it's in like the overall theme of the movie, which is Ralphie's incredible passion for this Red Ryder BB gun. And just to show you what he was so excited about, I happen to have one right here. And in fact, I'm gonna give away two right now. So if you will look under your chair or the chairs around you, you will find somebody has got a little ticket that looks like this, should be two. If there's not one in your chair, knock down the person next to you, look around you. They're probably towards the front because we try to encourage people to sit towards the front. Who's got one? You got one? There's one. Should be one more. Look around. I mean, we still got a sermon to preach here, people. Let's go. <laughs> How long does it take? <laughs> oh, this was a great idea. <laughs> so- So I guess run the movie, we'll just watch it. I got nothing else. Somebody stole it? I bet it was the Methodists. They got in here in the dark of night. Okay, if you won one of those, stop by the Connection Center on your way out and get your gun. Um, Oh, that was slick. Uh, So in the movie, 
uh, Ralphie really loves that gun, right? He really, he wants that gun. He must have that gun. He will do anything. There's no, there's no risk too great. There's no sacrifice too big. He'll do anything to get that gun. He's so like passionate, right? He'll do anything. He tries to trick his parents. Um, he tries like writing a great theme paper. He tries to bribe his teacher with a fruit basket. He goes over his parents' head and talks directly to Santa Claus. He is just desperate. He'll do anything. Nothing else matters to him. Ralphie doesn't care about parades or trees or turkey or personal safety or anything. He is just so focused on that gun. He has incredible passion for the gun. It's like he's obsessed. He can't stop thinking about it. He can't stop talking about it. He dreams about it. Um, Do you have passion like that for anything? in your life, for your family, or for your house, or your job, or a hobby, or your dog, or fitness, or your church? Do you, do you have passion like that for anything? And it's not, it's not a bad thing that we have passion. God gave us passion. God created us in his image, and he's passionate. So of course we're passionate. Um, I think we don't always invest our passions in the right things, but we have passion. And Jesus actually told a parable about what it would look like if somebody was so passionate, somebody was so obsessed with something that it came to a point that nothing else mattered to them. And this is in Matthew, it's chapter 13. And at this point of his teaching um, career, Jesus is going all in with parables. Right? It's, it's gonna be parables from now on. And he's just telling these little like earthly stories to help people understand these really big kingdom concepts. And so um, one of the stories he tells is about a farmer and he's spreading seeds on different kinds of dirt. And one of the stories that he tells is about um, wheat that was growing and weeds got in it. And one of them is about mustard seeds growing into trees. And he talks about yeast and bread. And so you can see he's talking to farmers. Right, and so he's using stories that they can relate to, and he's telling these stories to really big crowds. But then later, he, he gets his real followers, the ones that are really passionately pursuing him and really, really trying to understand him, and he reveals to them kind of what it really means. And so this is what he says. This is Matthew 13, 12. He says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have, will be taken away from them. And that's why I use these parables. Because people look, but they don't really see. And they hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And I think there's a real model in this that Jesus was saying to his followers, I'm gonna give you these stories, I'm gonna give you the words, but then I'm going to reveal the real truth to you that are close to me, that are really pursuing, that are really following me. And of course, now we have the Holy Spirit, right? So those of us that are really pursuing truth can open the word, and if we're really pursuing him, diligently seeking him, then he will reveal real truth to us and stuff that maybe seems simple or maybe doesn't make sense kind of on the surface. And so we wanna be those people, right? We wanna be the ones that are really listening, that are really looking, that are really following. So let's listen, let's, let's take a look at two super short parables about passion. This is Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus said, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again. And he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. And I remember you probably do too hearing this parable in church as a kid. And I was taught, and I, I think rightly, that it was all about passion, right? That when we, when we discover Jesus, we should have this, this crazy, insatiable passion for him, like that real estate investor had for that field, or like that pearl broker had for that pearl, or like Ralphie had for the gun. We should just, like compared to Jesus, nothing else should matter to us. Nothing should, should hold value for us compared to the value of knowing and experiencing him. And I think we should see Jesus as that valuable. We should see Jesus like that treasure in a field or like that amazing pearl or like that BB gun. And that, you know, I think that's good teaching. I think, I think that's true. We should have that kind of passion for Jesus. Um, can I just be like super transparent, like personal testimony time, right? I can't tell you how much time and energy and money I invest in golf. Really, I mean, playing and practicing and reading about it and watching it on TV and watching instructional videos and chipping around my house and buying gear I don't need. I like, like I can't, when I, if I shop and they have the glass storefronts, I can't not walk past the storefront and go, what is that? Like I can't, I can't not do that. You might say I'm a little obsessed with golf. And you know, we're, we're building a house right now and so like I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about new places to put a plug Right, and I, I can't stop thinking about, did we, did we get the right toilets, you know? What, what color tile should be in the shower? And of the outside lights, which one should come on with a timer and which one should come on with a switch? And should we have a sink in the garage in case we someday wanna wash our hands out there? I don't have time to eat or drink or work or do anything because I'm obsessed, like I'm, I'm consumed with this house and sometimes I'm convicted that like am I that passionate about Jesus? Am I that kind of like obsessed about Jesus? Am I thinking about him all the time like that? Am I as interested in pursuing my relationship with Jesus as I am pursuing a low golf score? Am I as excited about Jesus as I am my new house? And I know not you guys, but like in the second service, there's a lot of people that are very passionate about some things and not so much Jesus. I think we have a tendency. We're, we're passionate, man. God made us that way. But I think sometimes we misplace our passions, right? I mean, if you think about how we are with celebrities, 
right? We're just so like obsessed with, you know, what were they wearing at the award show? Oh, I heard she got a facelift. Oh no, they're getting a divorce. Oh, let's ask that actress what she thinks about foreign policy because she's clearly an expert, right? <laughs> we're, we're like, we're obsessed with them. We're, we're, we're obsessed with these celebrities and think of, think of how we act at sporting events to celebrate athletes. You know, we, we cheer and we scream and we jump and we pay 20 bucks for parking and who knows what for tickets and it's all to celebrate the amazing things that our heroes do like running and jumping and hitting a ball with a stick, right? We're so obsessed with them that it's exciting for us if they write their name down on a piece of paper for us. We have like incredible loyalty to them. Like we're so faithful to them. Like, Like as if we had a relationship with them, right? As if they do what they do for us. And the truth of it is all of them would move to another team and another town for another $3 a year. And I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's bad that we celebrate celebrities, and I don't think it's horrible that we admire great athletes, but we do get a little like obsessed with them. And sometimes I wonder if we are as excited about worshiping Jesus. And it's, oh, don't sing too loud. Oh, no, don't. Don't clap, you know, don't raise your hands, or God forbid, don't dance, you know, to celebrate the one who died so that we can live. That's, that's uncalled for. That is uncalled for. But I'll take my shirt off in freezing weather on national TV to reveal the giant D on my chest so that I can celebrate the almighty cowboys, and they're eight and four. <laughs> Listen, Jesus is undefeated. Right? It's not, it's not that it's so bad that we're passionate about this stuff. It's not wrong that we invest ourselves in our hobbies or our, our, our celebrities or sports or clothes or politics or our pets or fitness or kids' sports or whatever we're passionate about. But this parable, it kind of convicts me that I'm supposed to have that kind of passion for Jesus, that kind of obsession for him, that I would give up everything for him. I'd give up my house. I'd give up my golf game. I'd give up my job. I'd give up my financial security. I'd give up my health or my family or my favorite shoes. And sometimes I read about the New Testament church and like the persecution that they went through or the persecution that's going on right now in other parts of the world, and I really, I have to ask myself, you know, am I that passionate? Am I that kind of obsessed? Am I really that sold out? Or sometimes I talk to missionaries, uh, the Nuccios are here today, and, and I just see they've given up everything, everything, to go out in the world and share Jesus. And I admire that. But like beyond admiring it, it just really makes me ask, am I as passionate, as I, am I as sold out and, and obsessed as they are? 
as the New Testament church was, as this real estate investor was, as this pearl broker was, as Ralphie is with the Red Ryder BB gun. That's the kind of passion that I should have for Jesus and for following him and for worshiping him and for telling people about him and for sharing his love. And I think that's one interpretation of what this parable means. And I think it's true, but I don't think that's what this passage is really about. Um, yeah, the passage is definitely about passion. It's about a real estate investor. Think about that. He sold everything he owned to buy that field. It's about this pearl broker or whatever. They sold everything he owned so he could buy that pearl. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's about a kid that gave up everything for a BB gun. So it's, it's about passion, but it's not about our passion for Jesus. It's really about his passion for us. I think a really a better understanding of this parable is Jesus isn't the treasure in the field. And Jesus isn't the pearl of great price. You are. Jesus is Ralphie. Jesus is that real estate investor. Jesus is the, the pearl broker. Jesus gave up everything out of his passion for you. He, he sold everything. I mean, Joy said it earlier, but think of what he left, right? He left a perfect heaven where he was worshiped 24 seven. And he chose to meekly, humbly come here. And he, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was getting into. He intentionally chose, think about that. He, he chose to come to live a life of betrayal and heartache and, and he came, he came to die a horrible death. And he was betrayed and, and mocked and spit on and beaten and tortured to death. And he could have stopped at any time he wanted to, but he didn't because he knew that was the price of a relationship with you. That, that was a high price, right? but that was a price that he was willing to pay because Jesus was so completely sold out to you. He was so completely obsessed with having a relationship with you that he didn't care what it cost. And he gave up everything to make it possible that you could have a relationship with God so he could offer a relationship with God to you as, as a free gift. And just like a, a Christmas gift, you know, all you have to do is accept it. And he'll, he'll take away the sin that's separating you from God and disqualifying you from a relationship with him. And he will fill you with his spirit and he'll begin to change you from the inside out into his likeness. And I think maybe you feel like, maybe a lot of us feel like, like we don't deserve that. And you know, you don't, none, none of us do. But this is what I think this parable is teaching us Jesus wants this relationship. He's obsessed with this relationship. It's, it's his treasure. You are the treasure that he'd give everything up for. He, he sold everything and came and lived and died for you. And if you're thinking you've never really accepted that gift, maybe you're online or maybe you're in this room 
and you've never accepted that gift, I just wanna just tell you really quickly, Romans 10.9 says, if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what that means is that he will forgive your sins and he will accept you and he will love you and he will fill you with his spirit and he will begin to change you from the inside out to make you more and more like him and to prepare you for his kingdom. And so we're gonna spend hours on this or something, but I'll just say, if you wanna do that, we should do it now. Why would we wait to the new year? Why would we wait till Christmas morning, right? What a, why would we not accept that gift now and know for sure where we'll spend eternity and know for sure that our sins are forgiven and know for sure that his spirit is gonna come and live inside of us and change us into his likeness. If you're ready to do that now, we're gonna do it right now. And it's not magic words or something, but I'm gonna lead you in this little prayer and I'm just gonna ask you to repeat this prayer with me if you're ready to make Jesus Lord of your life. If you're already a believer, just repeat it with me out loud too, just to encourage somebody else that may be doing it for the first time. Just pray like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Today I become a Christian. And I believe in you as my risen Savior. And I'm asking you to be my Lord, to fill me with your spirit and teach me from your word and change me from the inside out. Jesus, help me to live for you for the rest of my life. Thank you for my salvation. Amen. Okay, so look, if you did that, I'm telling you, this is like the best Christmas gift you're getting this year. And uh, this, is, this is eternal life. This is, this is forgiveness. This is the power of the Spirit of God living inside of you in a future in heaven. If you did that, if you're online with us, I hope you'll let us know in the chat box or in the comments. If you're in the room and, and you've already, and you accepted Jesus today, I hope you'll go back to our Connection Center and just talk to them. We've got a little gift for you. I'd just love to contact you this week and talk to you a little bit about what's happened in this new walk for you. Um, but I'm not quite done yet. I wanna tell you this. Um, whether you became a Christian just now or whether you became a Christian 50 years ago, this parable is such good news for us because it teaches us how much Jesus values us. It teaches us how much he loves us and even likes us and how much he wants a relationship with us. He, he desperately wants us to be saved. He wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to be redeemed and accepted. He, he gave up everything. He gave up everything to make that happen. And I think when we really get that, I think it changes the way we see things. I will tell you that I spent a lot of my life trying really hard not to lose my salvation. I spent a lot of my life trying really hard not to like, disqualify myself from this relationship that I had with God. And I was always a, a little scared, a little scared. And I don't, not, not like a fearful reverence for who God, I was scared of him. I was scared of him. I was really afraid that like I would, like my most recent failure would be the one you know, that, that tore it. That would be the straw that broke the camel's back, that that last thing. Or maybe it's something that I keep doing wrong, and it was like, I know he forgave me that first 200 times, but surely he can't do it again. And I had this picture in my head of God 
of this angry old man who really never wanted me in the family anyway. You know, and he's got his finger on the down button and he's just waiting for me to blow it. And I was always afraid that I would make that one mistake that was too many. And Jesus would just be there like shaking his head. You know, I knew it. Uh, that's, that's it, man. That, that was your last chance. You're, you're done. And I, I, I almost felt like he was rooting for me to fail. so that he could like drop the hammer, you know? Aha, I knew it, I knew it. I knew you weren't Christian material. And I'll tell you, that for me was kind of paralyzing because it's like, I don't wanna try something hard. What if I fail? I don't wanna take on something big. What if I blow it, right? I don't even wanna try to follow Jesus because I know I'm not gonna be able to and I know he's just standing there just waiting for me to fail almost hoping that I'll blow it. Yeah, maybe I'm the only one, but have you ever felt like that? Have you ever like seen Jesus like that? Like he's kind of against you? Like maybe he's almost hoping that you'll fail. And he can say, see, I knew it. I knew you weren't, you know, Christian materials. But do you see how these parables destroy that picture of Jesus because they show us how he sees us. He sees us as his treasure, as his pearl. He'd give anything for us. He would do anything for us, and he did. He's not looking for a reason to disqualify us. He, he doesn't want us to be disqualified. He loves us. He, he values us. He sees us as his treasure. How much? How much does he see us? How? I mean, you can tell. What was he willing to give up for us? And it was everything. And that's what communion is about, right? So they gave you this little communion cup when you walked in here today. If you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. But this is really like a reminder for us of what he gave. It's really a reminder for us of what he was willing to pay. This is a reminder for us of how sold out to us Jesus really is. And I think it's, I don't, he doesn't want you to live a life of being afraid of him. He doesn't want you to live a life where you're constantly thinking if that last thing you did was the last thing or that last word or that last thought that you had is gonna disqualify. He doesn't want you to live like that. He doesn't want you to be thinking, oh man, one more thing, you know, one more mistake and I'm out. And that's why he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, come to me, all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest, not stress not pressure, not guilt, not shame. I'll give you rest. And I think that rest comes when we really see that we're not holding on to Jesus with our performance or our commitment to him. He's holding on to us with his love and with his commitment to us. He doesn't just love your good behaviors. He doesn't just love your good deeds. He doesn't just love your performance. He loves you like a treasure, like a super valuable pearl. And if you ever wonder how much he loves you, if you ever wonder 
how much he means to you. If you ever wonder like, what would he be willing to pay for your salvation? The answer is in your hand. It's that little communion cup. Jesus gave up everything, his body, his life is represented by the bread. If you take off that first layer of cellophane, you'll get to a little piece of bread. And that bread represents his body, his life that he gave up for us. And below that is the cup, that's his, it represents his blood that he gave for us. These are symbols, right? These are signs, uh, reminders of how passionate he is for you, of how far he was willing to go for how much he would give up for you. And if you're a Christian, here's your Christmas present from me. Take a breath. Just breathe. And know he's not sitting with a hammer waiting for you to blow it. He's not sitting with his finger on the down button hoping that you'll make that mistake so he can disqualify you. You're his treasure. You're his pearl. You're his Red Rider BB gun. He's crazy about you. He'll do anything for you. He gave up everything for you. He proved that in Bethlehem on the night he was born. And he fulfilled it 33 years later on the night he was betrayed. So if you've got your bread, let's talk about that night. The Bible says that on the day, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into pieces. And he said, this is my body. Don't miss this part. This is my body which is given for you. That's how much. So do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for your obsession with giving us a relationship with you. Lord, in this season and in this service and every day, help us to remember how you see us as a treasure, as a pearl. Thank you, Lord, for making the sacrifice to show us your love for us. In your name, amen. Let's take the bread. That next layer in your cup there is the wine. The Bible says in the same way, Jesus took a cup of wine after supper. And he said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. So do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. 
Father, thank you for loving us with a love that we can't even understand. Jesus, thank you for this incredible passion, this amazing obsession you have for us. And as we take this cup, Lord, will you let it be a reminder to us of just how much you love us. In your name, amen. Let's take the cup.